Welcome to Before You Were Born. I think it's our sixth episode now. We're just raring through Yeah, we're, we're practically in the kindergarten stage of our early podcast development. <laughs> um, I don't think that's how it works, in which case after two years we'll be 105 years old. More. Yeah, My yeah. week counting isn't great. Yeah. <laughs> um, this week, of course, is the 3rd of April to the 9th of April. We are in the heart of April now. We're in the juicy bits. And I'm excited. <laughs> the juicy bits of April. Now, if you've missed an episode, SoundCloud and iTunes before you're born. Even tune in before you're born. And, of course, on Facebook, Harry and Nash. Just type it in. You'll see our beautiful faces. Hear all the episodes. See the cool things. That is correct. It's a big, big week in history. It is. We say this every week, but this week, pretty big. Pretty big. Um, what's You know what? This week is actually pretty big. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> we're, not just, we're, we're not just saying... But, uh, you know what I realised? Is that we say every week this week is big. And that's because every week in history is big. Pick a date. Something big has happened on that day. This gets bigger and Some bigger. point in history. Um, Nash, what are you talking about today? One thing with this podcast that I wanted to try to avoid was having this sort of great man model of history or great, you know, great person yeah. where you just focus on one person and their achievements or their you know, um, transgressions, right? I've kind of touched on Mussolini last week or the week before. Um, We had uh, Typhoid Mary. We did. Yeah. And we're coming full circle here to uh, Joseph Stalin. Oh, good. So we're keeping it on evil villains as your theme. Yeah. (laughs) Which is is great because I'm going the complete opposite of Stalin and talking about someone that is, is genuinely a good person. Morally virtuous. Morally virtuous. And you know what? So often we get bogged down in history being a male perspective. Because it is. Men wrote history, unfortunately. So let's talk about a dominant woman who has done great things in the history. Her name... And it's going to sound silly to you, but it is so true. Pocahontas. (laughs) You're thinking the fictional character, 1995 film by Walt Disney, won two Oscars, Colors of the Wind, John Smith, all that fun things. Yeah, well, that's my frame of reference. Wait, so you're saying Pocahontas was a real person? She was real. Oh, shit. Born in the 1600s. Yeah. Living till about, you know, 1620. Right. And she did a lot of great things during her lifetime. And she was an advocate for peaceful relations between the Native Americans and the English settlers. Wow, well, I can't say the same for our good friend Stalin. <laughs> no, he was, he was quite the antithesis of that. Didn't he, like, slaughter, like, 30 million people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there's no better thing to do now than... Take us back to a time before you were born. Cue the intro. I have a thing. Good evening, and welcome to television. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. Let's go back to a time before you were born. Now, Nash, we're speaking about someone who I personally loved as a child. Not in a way that we were speaking about last week with John Hickney, with uh, Jodie Foster, but more of Good. aspirational, thought she was bloody awesome, yeah. sung pretty well as well. Mm -hmm. Her name is Pocahontas. 1995, most people understood about Pocahontas. The movie came out, Walt Disney, everyone loved it, won two Oscars, and it was about, you know, Pocahontas falling in love with this man called John Smith from the New World and them discovering each other's cultures. And whilst there was a war going on between Pocahontas' family and the British settlers, Mm -hmm. 
they managed to find a peace to work it out and help prosperity between the two nations. That's lovely. And it's a happily ever after tale. Everyone's happy in the end. No one dies. Everyone gets together. It's all nice and happy. And the good news is... That's that's totally false. Completely (laughs) false. Now, we're going to go on to this a bit later. Okay. How false Disney is. But let's start with Pocahontas. Can I just say really quickly with a movie? That was the first movie I ever went to. Really? In the cinema? Yeah, I remember. really young. I remember being very upset because I figured... I was two. I was about two and a half. I actually remember it. I remember being really upset that we were going to miss the movie. My mum was like, no, no, no. She she assured me that they would wait for us to arrive. (laughs) I was like, wow, we must be really important. (laughs) Did they wait for you? They did. But they also waited for everybody else who had a ticket for the 9.30 session too. (laughs) Um, But I also remember real quick as well that... I lost interest in it real quick, and I started running around the cinema. You were two years old. I was two years old. I was Probably a bit premature for movies. Yeah, I started running around playing with the chairs, and like my mum just picked me up and just carried me over her shoulder <laughs> and walked straight out to the car. And I was screaming the whole way! And you know what? Here's the thing. In um, 1995 in Canberra, there's not too many uh, mixed-race families, right? So here's my white <laughs> mum carrying this black baby screaming, <laughs> Take me back! Take me back! I want to go! No! And she, she was just, she was not, just a, not the best look. No. Yeah. Not so great. funny because my first memory of a movie is also a Disney movie, The Little Mermaid. I cried for about two hours after watching that film. It was horrific, man. Distressing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, we're going to find out why it was so distressing a bit later. Let's talk about the real Pokemon. Let's talk about the real lady. Let's head back to 1600, 1607 to be precise. Sure. Okay. To the real Pocahontas. Right. We're talking the real fleshy human Pocahontas, not this animation 2D stuff. <laughs> so the live action Pocahontas. The live action. So you know how Disney's making live action films? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the live action, except it happened about 400 years ago. Okay. So 1907, poet and Indians, right? They're living in their community near Jamestown, Virginia. Okay. What's interesting, 1607 yeah. is the year that British colonies start settling in America. Oh, really? So Columbus, of course, discovered America in 1492. Yeah, big whoop, no one cares. 1607 is where it started, and it started in Jamestown, Virginia, right next to the Powhatan community. Right, okay, okay. So, of course, if you've never met someone from Britain before, you'd be shocked. When I meet British people, I'm still shocked. Mm. All I want is tea and scones. Yeah, their teeth are weird. (laughs) Um, Forget all those stereotypes, right? So this man named John Smith, he's kind of exploring his surrounding area of Jamestown and he stumbles across the Powhatan community. Right, okay. This is 1607. Pocahontas at the time, she's 11 or 12. She's young. Oh no, this is sounding a lot like our story from last week. Yeah, you know, 14-year-old Jodie Foster. Mm. But it does get better. Okay. The chief of the Powhatan community, of course, is Pocahontas' father. Right. Powhatan. Okay, okay. So he's the chief and he captures John Smith who is just doing this expedition around the surrounding areas, and he captures him. And he goes, who are you? What are you doing? I'm going to kill you. Right. So he gets his head in between two rocks. This is is the myth. What actually happens and where it happens is, it's controversial. No one's really sure. So it's like one of these, like... um Washington chopping down the cherry tree, Newton having the apple fall on his head. It's a bit of, of um, you know, creative... It's mythologized. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, John this Smith is... Do or die moment for John Smith. Yeah, he's about to be killed by the chief of the Powhatan community, Powhatan. Yep, yep. Pocahontas, 11-year-old Pocahontas. She jumps in front of John Smith and she goes, Dad, don't do it. Let him live. Let him be free. 
We can work with these people. It's chill, Dad. I'm only 11, but I know it's all going to be okay. Okay. So Bowden, he's like, I don't want to do this, but you're my little girl. You're my angel. I'm not going to kill him. Okay. It's okay. Okay. He can live. So John Smith goes back and he tells his community about the Powhatan community and then the British and the Powhatans, they start having quite a nice relationship. So over the next okay. couple of years... Relative to other colonial powers and uh, yeah, it <laughs> is actually relations it is that we actually, know about. Yeah. It is actually really pleasant compared to what okay. it could be. Okay. So over the next couple of years, there's not much written on it, but basically what is known is right. that Pocahontas, besides from saving John Smith's life, she right. now has a lovely connection with John Smith. Nothing, no relationship as portrayed in the movie, nothing like that. So it's a platonic relationship. It's very platonic, and she gives food to the Jamestown community because, of course, they're new here. They don't really know how to get food, yeah. how to you know get their agriculture up and running. So yeah. she's helping and helping to survive. So okay. over a couple okay. of years... She is doing this on her, off her own accord, but also as a messenger for the poet and community, trying to say, hey, let's have good relations. Let's make this work. So she's really like the first diplomat. She's a boss. She's literally saying, let me help save people I don't even know so that everyone can live peacefully because we love peace. She even goes as far as to help some prisoners be released from Jamestown. That is how good she is. She's just a useful She's human one of being. these bleeding heart liberals. They want to get all the criminals back on the streets. Sounds like a problem to me, Harry. This, <laughs> no, this can't last. Surely this can't last. Well, it can. Oh, really? And it does for, you know, six years or so. Right, wow. The issue is, British, they're not so good at the colonization thing. It, surprising, I know, because mm -hmm. they do it quite a in bit. In what way? In what sense do you mean? They're dying a lot. They don't uh, know how to live in this environment. Okay. And um, unlike the Powhatan community, they don't know how to live themselves, hunt the animals, any of these things. So, enter Samuel Argel. 1613. Okay. He arrives, a British man, and he sees Jamestown. He sees it's not working, and he, he thinks, you know what? The Potons, they think they can do whatever they want. I want to prove a point. I want to prove a point that English can do whatever we want and we should have all of their resources because we're the English. Yeah, right. Okay. So he captures Pocahontas. Okay. He lures her onto his ship, captures her. Okay. It's not a good situation. She's in a cell. Powhatan and his community, they're outraged. They're like, you take my daughter? Like, you've locked her up? What are you doing just to prove a point? Like, we were living in prosperity and peace. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Well, there must have been some problems. Look, there was definitely the problems, place. and Powhatan never yeah. liked the British. Yeah. This is how it's documented. So it was just like it was an uneasy compromise by the sound. It right? was unhappy, but it was something that they had to do. It was better than being at war with each other. Yeah, exactly. So of course, the war begins. Oh. There's a fight between the British and the Powhatan community because, of course, the chief's daughter is has been captured in, and she's held hostage. Prison. Yeah, right. But then something magical happens. <gasps> Grandmother Willow! No, true love. Ugh. Enter John Rolfe. <laughs> they fall in love with each other, or rather he falls in love with her. And how old is she by this point? 17, 18? Yeah, she's old enough that it's it's not creepy. Okay. It's not a Jodie Foster situation. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a reference, they're talking about an episode last week where the guy who tried to kill Reagan was in love with young Jodie Foster. Who was 14 years old. Yes. Not so legal. Anyway. So this is legal. And so Pocahontas and John Rolfe, they fall in love. And they he gets her out of prison, and they get married, and they tie the knot, and it's very happy. By which point, the Powhatan community, English yeah, community... Yeah, I was about to say, what happened to the war? Tension. Tension between the two. But, 
the marriage between John Rolfe and Pocahontas does actually make it a bit better. There's actually nothing written about this. Oh. So it's actually hard to say. Okay. The issue with this history is that there's a lot of gaps in this. Yeah, right. So we know Pocahontas is captured. We know she then gets married. But there's really not much to say about how the tensions go between the two communities. Okay. Because the story then leads off and Pocahontas leaves her community. She leaves her father. She leaves her family. And where she goes? She goes to England. Jordan Rolfe wants to use her as propaganda. Lovely, right? Oh. And then she dies. <laughs> so, the date that's important... Oh, no! The date... Oh, no! I don't like this version of the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty terrible, to be honest. The date that is important, of course, is the marriage of Pocahontas... To John Rolfe, which is April okay. 5th, 1614. They get married. The unity happens. You think they live ha- happily ever after, but about seven years later, she dies of the measles, mumps, and or smallpox. Oh, man. So it got me thinking. This whole story about Pocahontas, even in the story she lives happily ever after, and they fall in love and all these things, I mean, that doesn't happen. She still was an awesome person who yeah. really tried to promote peace and prosperity. Yeah. But the ending of the story... Not so good. Not so good. And it got me thinking... Where's Disney led us astray? And I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if anyone listening knows this, but I want to go through some of the myths and legend debunked about Disney. Oh, yeah, okay. And where it strays. Um, Nash, you and I, of course, are going to put out a sneaky little... Little cover? Little song um, of Colors of the Wind. Um, (laughs) So check out that on our Facebook page. It's going to be great. But let's go through some of the myths about Disney films. So this week we were speaking a bit about all the things that Disney kind of got wrong, such as Pocahontas. Let's have a chat about all the other things that Disney got wrong. Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, they feature quite a bit in this, and as does history. Just facts. Yeah, okay. Let's start off with Cinderella. So of course you know Cinderella, she marries a prince, it's all happy. Her evil stepsisters, they're sad, nothing really happens to them, we don't care about them. She lives happily ever after. The good news in the Brothers Grimm original... Cinderella does live happily ever after. It's very nice. The bad news, her evil stepsisters, they don't. Yeah, they die, don't they? Well, yeah. You know why? Because to fit into the slipper, one of them cuts off their toes Mm. to fit in, and the other one cuts off their heels. Mm. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to cut off your toe and or heel. I have, actually. It's not a great situation. No, it wasn't good. As I'm sure you know. (laughs) That's why I don't wear thongs. So they die. So it's (laughs) it's a lot less fun. Um, Javiana were not, not impressed if you had with to that choose, situation. If you had to choose, which one would you want to chop off? Your toes or your heels? See, I'm unsure because my favourite song, of course, is Heel, Toe, Heel, Toe, Slide, Slide, Cha, Cha, Cha. Oh my God, you'd make the best, worst PE teacher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweet Jesus. How I hated line dancing in primary school and high school. Ugh. Yeah, i probably, you know what, I'd probably go with my heel. Because <laughs> toes, there's five of them, so you're losing five things. Heel, it's just one. You're just losing one thing. Yeah. I say, I mean, it's going to be difficult for you to keep your balance if you don't have your toes. Yeah, you'd never be able to rest on your laurels either. <laughs> so, um, it'd be a bad situation. But All right, what's next? Let's move on. Brothers Grimm again, Tangled. Of course, the story of Rapunzel. In the story, Rapunzel, the prince climbs up the hair, saves Rapunzel, everyone's yeah. happy. Yeah. Sorceress dies, who cares, whatever. In the other adaption... Sorceress cuts off the hair of Rapunzel, throws her into the wilderness, where she, of course, would die. Yeah. She uses the hair to lure up the prince. Prince climbs up, sees the sorcerer, is like, oh my god, this is not what I came for. Hashtag Rihanna Calvin Harris. Throws throws himself out of the tower 
eyes at first and blinds himself in a bunch of thorns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he then walks dear. around the rest of his life blind. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a happy situation. Now, let's move to away from Brothers Grimm to Shakespeare. Okay. Of course, you've seen The Lion King. Of course. One of the best films of all time, of course, based off Hamlet. Yeah. Now, in The Lion King, Simba defeats Scar, right? Mufasa yeah. dies. Yeah. Sorry, spoilers. It's the way it works. There's a lot of spoilers, but if you if haven't you seen it by, by now, now. Uh, you've missed the boat. Voldemort dies. Anyway, <laughs> and so what happens is in The Lion King, Simba mm. wins, Scar you assume dies, not really sure, Mufasa dies, so only two deaths. It's pretty good. In Hamlet, everyone, everyone dies. dies. Everyone <laughs> dies. Yeah. And also everyone goes crazy. As yeah, well. it's not a great situation. So Shakespeare, <laughs> Disney, not a great combo. Now, let's head to a bit of history now before okay. we get to our last one. Another awesome boss lady, yeah. Mulan. Now, of course, this is about how Mulan from the fourth century, right? Okay. In the movie, Mulan is kind of clumsy. She's not really a warrior. She has all this trouble with getting into the army because yep. she wants to fight, but she's a woman, so she can't fight. Unfortunately, rather fortunately, actually, this is not the case for Mulan in real life. She was a dope-ass warrior fighter. Ugh. No one even thought twice about letting her into the army because they saw her skills. They wanted to, in her 12 years in the army, they wanted to she remote her. 12 years? They wanted to remote her 12 times. Holy shit. That's how good she was. She was like the bossest ninja ever. Well, that's crazy. That's... Wow. They really need to redo it. They should. <laughs> cool they are, actually. Mulan so. is awesome. <laughs> they kind of make her less cool. Because really, I mean, there wouldn't be a movie. What what movie is that? You watch, she's awesome. She ends being awesome. This movie, like, you're like, you're unsure. You feel her plight, and then she's awesome. Well, you In know reality, what it is? You know what? Just awesome. You know what Disney does? What? They just sort of follow the sort of um, James Campbell archetype of the hero's journey. You know, mm. like, it's one person. They go out into the wilderness. They defeat... Um, the Hun. The Hun or whoever's <laughs> causing them pr problems and they come back to their community to bestow boons upon, upon them. They, just, so they she, have to f adapt history so to she, fit that model. She did go back into her community and it was really nice after, yeah. but there was no like struggle for her to go in. She was just awesome to begin with. Now the last one, it's a bit lengthier. The Little yeah. Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. So we know the tale. She loses her voice yeah. so she can have legs. She falls in love with the prince. They live happily ever after, defeat the evil octopus witch Ursula Ursula mm. in reality not so not so nice instead of just losing her voice the, the witch actually takes her tongue just Ugh. for just for giggles really she has no it's reason like for it it's like that Tui's beer ad <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well yeah mermaid is, is like that anyway so they take her tongue and when she gets her legs mm. the requirement is that every step she takes is like walking on shattered glass or that knives are going into her legs. So it's not fun for her to have legs. So she's like, if I can convince the prince to love me, then I'll just have legs, none of this painful stuff. Just have the legs. Yeah. Prince is not keen. He sees her as a little sister. He's like, look, I really, I don't want to marry you. And she has to get married to the prince, otherwise she's going to be killed. Does she succeed? She doesn't succeed. So her sisters, her sisters help out. They cut off all their hair, make a deal with the witch, and they say... Give us a chance to redeem our sister. Let her live. Yeah, yeah. So the witch gives them a dagger. They And she says, tell the little mermaid to kill the prince. If she kills the prince, she, she can, will, she can go back. be a mermaid now. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. The little mermaid, she tries. She tries to kill the prince. She can't. So she knows she's going to die. She's about to stab him. She, she turns the knife on herself. She doesn't. She oh. jumps off, ready to turn into the foam of the sea plot twist and sorry for the spoilers she actually then ascends into the heavens and becomes a daughter of the air 
what? She's still dead, but now she's an eternal being that uh, after 300 years will get to go into heaven. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So Disney got Whoa, it a bit man. wrong. There was no happy ending. A lot of these don't have happy endings, except Cinderella, pretty much, and Mulan. The rest of them are pretty dark and sad. Yeah. <laughs> like They're pretty awful. Well, you know what? I think it's about time that we bring back these stories in mean, all their gross uh, brutality. I agree. Because you know what? Life isn't nice. It isn't. Life isn't a bloody Broadway musical. It's not like The Lion King. Animals don't it's sing not. and dance. They eat each other. Okay? 100%. All right? it's not the, it is the circle of life. Yeah. You know? Nash, I reckon what we do, as we were saying before, let's do a cover of how these should have ended. A compilation of different Disney songs and movies. Oh, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> Maybe just one song. <laughs> just the one. <laughs> just the one song talking about how these fairy tales should have actually ended in reality. Yeah, let's make it like historically accurate. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I'm glad we learned a bit about Pocahontas. She was an awesome human being and definitely someone that we should revel in her awesomeness. I agree. All right, enough of these nice things. Let's turn to someone that's a bit less nice. Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty bad. Probably the nicest representation he's ever had is a bit less nice. I would say he's one of the worst dictators ever. He's uh, he's right up there. <laughs> yeah, all right. He's right up there. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Before You Were Born. Now, Nash, what do you have in store for us? Well, Harry, um, I'm trying to condense a good, let's say, 400 years of Russian history into <laughs> 10 minutes. So that is hard. <laughs> it's going to be a massive undertaking. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, okay, this week I'm looking at the rise to power of Joseph Stalin because he became the general secretary of the Communist Party on April 3rd of 1922. That's in our week. That's good news. Good news. <laughs> What's the good news? We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking at this, uh, at this behemoth. If you know anything about Russian history, just a little bit, you know that it's sad and it's incredibly, incredibly complicated, right? Yeah. So I was like, how do I tell this story of Joseph Stalin coming to power? Which actually, you know what? To me, it's actually not as interesting as the stories that permitted him to actually come to power in the first place. Okay. So what tell, do I mean tell by me that? A bit. What I mean by that? So Harry, um, why are human beings, why are we the dominant species on the planet? Um, because we have opposable thumbs and um, free thought. Free thought. Okay, because the opposable thumbs thing isn't such a big deal. I mean, apes have that as well, right? And they're awesome. They're awesome. But free thought. But the, the thought to do what? That we are particularly good at thinking about what in certain ways? You're leading me here, but I have no idea. You're going to tell me. How we relate to other people. That's social intelligence is humanity's superpower. Thank you, Hunter Mutz. For... You really think as a social worker, I, I would know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what the hell, man? Yeah, okay, anyway, continue. So... Social, Social intelligence is humanity's superpower, right? Yeah. Um, and our ability to story things, right? To uh, collectively create and convince ourselves of narratives, of stories, so that we can organize and achieve great things. Sounds good to so me. So the story of a nation state, the story of human rights, the story of money. These things aren't objectively real, the value that we place on them. It's just that we all tacitly agree that they're important, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? These are stories. So what were the stories? stories that allowed Stalin to become 
the Stalin that we know, right? I, I, I assume that it involves killing and poverty. Yeah, well, there's a lot of competing stories here. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of blood in these stories, right? Yeah. The, it runs thick with blood. So let me take you back, right? The late 1800s, early 1900s in Russia, right? Yeah. This is the winter of imperialist Russia, okay? Okay, Lenin is, is big at the moment because, of course, he gets exiled. Well, Lenin, he's sort of just like this rogue actor, right? He's already been exiled to Switzerland. But yeah. this isn't what I want to get to just yet. Okay, sorry, so 1905, sorry. January 22nd. It's a Sunday. <laughs> I'm so glad. Sunday, bloody Sunday, right? So this was when there was actually this massive uh, protest in St. Petersburg, a peaceful protest led by a priest, and all these protesters got mowed down, right, by the Tsar's imperial forces. Not cool. No. I mean, it's a priest. Well, Yeah. You know, well, not every priest is innocent, um, but but, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, this guy my. was pretty holy, oh, right? Oh my! Okay. But look, look. Here's, here's, here's I'm talking about competing stories. Yeah. Okay. Here's one of imperialism, one of feudalism of old times that the Tsar, the emperor of the Russian Empire, that everyone should respect him, right? But then you have this opposing story of industrialism and capitalism, mm. where the lower classes are being oppressed and they're had enough. They butt heads. But this is really the time where. I guess the feudalist system is really coming to a downfall. Well, yeah, so the emancipation of the serfs happened from uh, Alexander II back in the late 1800s, but there's still this sort of class divide, right? And the story is going on in the in the lower classes, the proletariat, that they want, that that's enough. It's not just, okay? Yeah. So there's these tensions. So essentially this... Sunday Bloody Sunday justifies some of the political and radical leanings of people like Lenin and um, the Marxists, right? Yeah. Um, some of whom were exiled, like Stalin. I mean, what easy way to get rid of your problem, but then send them to another country? Well, yeah, but also in, but by the fact that they were exiled and that they all got together and started thinking the same way, right? Their political ideologies were sort of validated and they became authorities in their own right because of this Sunday Bloody Sunday revolution, right? It's literally an idiot's or guide revolution. of how to make a martyr. That's that's well, essentially what they're doing here. We'll exile you, <laughs> therefore you'll become a martyr. Great. Well, yeah, we'll put you all together with all these other like radicals. Okay, so so suddenly. Um, Stalin, who at this point is in his early 20s, he's been exiled to Siberia. His sort of political leanings, his Marxist readings of um, of the world, mm. but kind of becoming justified, right? So Marxism, this is another one of these big stories, right? The idea that this, this should be a, a proliferation of, of wealth across a society and a nice sort of uh, uh, equal utopian society, right? For those that don't know Marxism by Karl Marx, of course, yeah, is, of course, is, is yeah. essentially the That's socialist capital. ideal. Everyone equal, all levels. Everyone has the same money, access to everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the it's it's a critique on the um, you know the the story of uh, industrialist capitalism, which is oppressing people, right? Yeah, at this point in time, it's really come to rise in direct contrast. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So you've got that happen, okay? So people are upset with the Tsar. Fast forward, boom, nineteen seventeen. The Tsar Nicholas II has led has already led Russia into the First World War. There's already all these tensions going on in Russia. People are upset, they're poor, they're disenfranchised. They kick the Tsar out of power. He's done. 300 years of Romanov dynasty, done. All over. So there's this power vacuum. There is going to be a uh, a uh, preliminary government there. And it's sort of 
you know, they're sort of led by the Bolsheviks for a bit, but then they're like, nah, you know what? We're actually going to take over and make this a proper revolution. Lenin leads the Bolsheviks, who are all these Marxists, In 1917, right? of 1917, course, is when he comes back to Russia. Comes back from Finland, right, out from exile, comes back, takes over, and the, 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 the Bolsheviks, the communists, are leading Russia, wow. rather the Soviet Union now. Between 19... I've skipped a lot. Yeah, you have. But, but between, I'll come back to it. Between 1917 <laughs> and 1934, yeah. a lot of dictators come to rise. Well, and we yeah. explored, this is the second one that we're exploring. And dude, there's a lot of similarities as well here as well. Like um, Mussolini, Stalin, and our good friend Hitler, they all wrote for... Sorry. Uh, I, I don't think anyone <laughs> says our good friend Hitler. It's not like, oh, me and my mate Hitler went down to the pub. No, it's the I know, tyrannical I know, I know. leader and dictator They Hitler. were all in prison or in exile. They were mm. all uh, editors of socialist newspapers. They were all... Horrible people. Yeah, so if you're in charge of a socialist newspaper, get out while you still can. Get out. Let's keep an eye on them. Yeah, that's what we're saying here. Anyway, look, so 1917, that's the Bolshevik Revolution, right? So the Tsar, his family abdicates, and then we have the rule. Well, rather, this is the start of the Russian Civil War. Okay. Right. So because not everyone is happy that the Bolsheviks, who are these communists, right, that they're taking over... Um, Soviet Russia, okay? They're not happy. So this leads into a war that leads up until 1922, where finally the Bolsheviks um, consolidate their power. They crush the white army uh, resistance. And unequivocally, the Bolsheviks, the Communist Party, are leading Soviet Russia. So it took them about five years to do so after the Tsar lost the war and then got kicked out. Yeah. Now, five years later, but just think about this for a charge. moment. How terrible is it to live in Russia in this time? Not only are you facing horrible losses on the Eastern Front during World War One, but you are at war internally within Russia. Yeah, look, it doesn't sound like the place... It's not like a holiday destination. You're like, oh, come to Russia. No. You could be in the middle of a civil war and World War One. Dude, tens of millions of people died. It's yeah, it's, it's not a good start to the new century. No. So, but crucially, all through that time, from 1905 right up until 1922, Stalin is running things on the ground, okay? He's proving his his salt as a military strategist, as someone who can get his hands dirty. He robs banks to fund the Bolsheviks, That's right? He did this one bank robbery that was worth around $3.5 million, right? <laughs> this is to then be their leader. He is a baller, right? Just, just to clarify, though, yeah. he's back from Siberia now. Well, he goes back and forth. He goes into exile a number of times, <laughs> okay. right? Okay. <laughs> it's not like third time's the charm. You're no longer exiled. No. So he didn't actually have very much to do with the the revolution at stake uh, around in the, uh, the uh, 1917. But post the revolution, during the civil war, that's when he really came to uh, prove his worth to Lenin, right? And particularly during the um, the Russian invasion of Georgia, which which was actually his f where he was born in Georgia, not okay. in, in Russia as well. Okay. Ah. Can I just say quickly, yeah. let's go back to the bank robbery. <laughs> okay. He was a bank robber? Yeah. How did we just gloss over this? I'm sorry. This, he's like he's like the premise for the Italian job. <laughs> you know, it's insane. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Stalin, right, he, he along with robbing banks, he did these extortion uh, rackets as well, where he would essentially command forces on the ground, and he actually proved himself to be this horribly ruthless dude who would get stuff done. He sounds right. like he should be the head of the KGB. Well, funny you say that. <laughs> um, so we come back to 1922, October, right? This is when the Bolsheviks have finally consolidated power. They are in charge. They're it the king of the, the castle. Well, yeah, it's the Soviet revolution yeah. has been done, right? Okay. Lenin isn't doing too well. 
Turns out that running a revolution, up-earthing one story about how nations, people, society should work, this imperialist story, and replacing it with another one, a utopian one where everyone is, shares the wealth and the means of production are owned by the state, turns out that can be very taxing on you. Really? Yeah. No way. Running your own regime can be taxing? Taxing. Who would have thought? So Lenin actually got shot in a failed assassination attempt back in 1919, right? Right. And during an operation in 1922, right, he suffers a stroke, okay? So then he becomes sort of incapacitated. But the stroke is after he appoints Stalin as the general secretary of the Communist Party. Which is the second in command. Well, that's not necessarily the second in command, but it's very important because he controls appointment of positions. So guess what? You know what he does? He appoints people who are loyal to him and he just sort of clears out everyone else who opposes him. It kind of makes sense. If you're a dictator, I guess the first rule is making sure all your loyal subjects mm, mm-hmm. are in positions of power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, there's one there's one thing standing in his way. Mm, Lenin. No. Well, no. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to die. Lenin's going to die. Lenin's going to die. Okay, good. Right? So who's standing in his way? Trotsky. Leon uh, Trotsky. Leon. Yeah, Leon Trotsky. So Leon Trotsky is sort of the polar opposite to Stalin. They're both communists, but Stalin is this salt-of-the-earth pragmatist. He's a ruthless killer, right? Mm. Not to say that that Trotsky wasn't a killer, but he was a bourgeois intellectual. People didn't really like him very much. So Trotsky is the main opposition that Stalin needs to push through to order into... The yin to his yang. He needs to take care of so that he can actually run the the Communist Party. just you saying that, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, he's a mafioso bust, Stalin. Mm. Trotsky... He, he doesn't have a chance. Well, Trotsky did have a chance, right? Because actually, you know what? As Lenin was dying as on his deathbed and he was he was dictating his last testament, he actually said that Stalin shouldn't take over the Communist Party after Lenin passes because he's too brutal, right? Fair call. Okay. But, get this right. As general secretary, Stalin was in charge of Lenin's medical care. He had one of his secretaries take that... It was leaked to Stalin, and Stalin made sure, uh, through a partnership between himself and two other guys, I forget their names at this time, two other guys. Joe Bloggs and Joe Bloggs? Uh, it was Blogsky and Blogev, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, well, we will get those names for you in the description. Um, with the help of these two guys, they suppressed this article from being released so that Stalin sweeps in as the leader of the Communist Party once Lenin dies. Okay. That is not surprising. And you, well, you know what, as well, after that happens, Stalin double-crosses these guys, boots them out, right? <laughs> and he then takes care of Trotsky as well, exiles him, and then later on, he's murdered. He's, a, <laughs> he's assassinated. Oh, my God. You know what? Russia doesn't sound like a fun time in, in 1922. It sounds like no. a place that I don't want to be... At all. Well, you know what? In 1922, funnily enough, that is a brief period of stability. It's a brief <laughs> Lenin's brief dying and Stalin's about to take power. Well, Stalin actually doesn't take power until really until like 1924. That's when Lenin dies. Um, so that's when all this is coming to a head between the power struggle between them. But crucially, crucially, the reason why Stalin is able to take, take control is because the other members of the Communist Party are busy bickering and fighting with themselves talking about these high-minded ideals, these stories. How do you actually lead a country when Stalin is busy there getting his hands dirty, taking care of business, and while they're all bickering, he took the leadership from underneath their noses? But isn't that the case so often? People are talking about things they should do, and the person that does it, they're the ones, they get the job, they 
you know, achieve what they want to achieve. You know what? I think this is quite indicative of the story at thing as well, right? Mm. So one last thing. Stalin authored his own story. Stalin he wasn't did. born Stalin. He gave that name to himself. He crafted his own story. Stalin means man of steel. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is Superman. That's Superman. Oh, yeah. God. Well, well, there goes my love of childhood <laughs> comic books. Come out. Why? Why? But you see what I mean? Yeah. This idea that, like, there are these stories that we tell ourselves and that shape us as well. Um, Stalin was able to do so through, you know, bloody violence and you know, all this awful stuff. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that these stories, that from one imperialist story to a communist story in opposition to a um, industrialist story versus a you know nation-state story, all these stories. Interesting. It is. Interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. And whilst you did a great job of being brief about the Russian history, mm. which is far and, and wide. <laughs> I'm really sorry, so reductive. Any Russian listeners out there, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you guys got some stuff from that. <laughs> anyway, let's let's head to a break. Yeah. And right after this, come back with a bit of fast facts. Welcome back to Before You're Born Now. Time for one of our favorite segments. Fast facts. fast facts. Sorry, I said a bit quicker than you this week. That's all right. Um, as is the case with fast facts. Harry, I've got a big, big old week for you. So, okay. along with you know Joseph Stalin being appointed as the leader of the Soviets in, on April 3rd, uh, on April 3rd in 1882, Jesse James, the notorious, notorious outlaw, he was shot in the back and Jeez. killed. Yeah. Nearly as bad as Brutus stabbing Caesar in the back. Yeah, probably less historically significant, but <laughs> yeah, much, much. It's no, it's no Ides of March. I'll it's, yeah, much. it's a petty criminal versus you know a god amongst men. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, still on March third in nineteen seventy-two, Annie Hall wins Best Picture. What a film by Woody Allen! It's one of my faves. It's just a great film. I l- so angsty. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, oh, it's uh, so hard. It's so hard. I don't know what to do. God damn! Where's my bagels? <laughs> You're really good at that. Thank you. Me and my friends actually practice, so that's a worry. Let's move on to April 4th, 1960. Ben-Hur wins 11 Oscars. One of the most successful films of all time in terms of Oscar notoriety. You know what? I I would have to agree with you. However, how many people have seen Ben-Hur? Now. Probably a lot of people in 1960, but not not a lot now. Actually, what's interesting is that I think they remade Ben-Hur. They did. And apparently it was a shit It was a flop. All-round flop. April 4th, 1975, this one is particularly significant because I'm actually reading this script of one of their products. In 1975, April 4th, Microsoft was founded. Oh, how much did that change your world? Do you remember the dial-up? You know, you're waiting five minutes for internet on your Microsoft PC, which was like version 2000. Imagine having a version 2000 Microsoft right now. Windows 2000 was pretty good. I was a fan of Windows 2000. <laughs> Windows Vista. Ooh, that was a flop if ever I saw oh, one. We're just flopping all over the place here. Dear oh me. Still April 4th, 1968. A very significant one, one for the, the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was assassinated. It's true. Now, stay tuned in August. We're going to speak a lot about MLK. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, in August was when he delivered his famous I Have a Dream have speech a dream. on the steps yep. of the Lincoln uh, Memorial. So... April 4th, 1887, Susanna M. Slater is elected as the mayor of Argonia, Kansas. She's the first female mayor in the United States. It's pretty big. I mean, women didn't even get the right to vote in America nationally until 1920, as we were saying last week. Yeah, and then again last week as well, we said that in 1917, that was when... Jeanette. uh, Jeanette. Was elected to Congress. Raskins. Raskins. Raskins, I think. Was elected to Congress. So, Mm. you know, Susanna 
was really starting the wave. Yes, indeed. Uh, April 5th. April 5th, 1955, Winston Churchill resigns because oh, his health is failing. Yeah, but oh, he did a lot of things that were good. Yes, he did. <laughs> Do you know what they are, Harry? War things, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, of course. He led, he Britain, was, he led Britain through the world. Wasn't he the world first war. man? Okay. I was going to say first man on Mars, but guess uh, not. Close. I was close. close. April 6th, there are three big things that happened on April 6th. Actually, I'll do it this way, Harry. You can put them in chronological order for me. Yeah. So, the Mormon Church was established. 2001, a space odyssey was released, and the first modern Olympics was held. Okay. So, so the years are... 1896, 1830, and 1968. Okay, Space Odyssey's got to be last. 2001, A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, okay, so that's in 1968. Yeah. So you got the Mormon Church or the Olympics. What came first, Jesus so, or the rings? <laughs> I'm going to say the Olympics was was second because the recent Olympics are only like 1900s-ish. Close, but not quite. So, actually, uh, the... Uh, oh, no, fuck, you're right. Sorry, I misread that. So, yeah, <laughs> the Mormon Church was founded in 1830, and the first modern Olympics was in 1896. I can't believe, A, how recently Olympics have been, but also Mormon Church. That's only like 170 years have been around. That's not a whole heap for them to have a musical made about them. I mean, come on. <laughs> Surely they have to be about a bit longer for that. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> April seven. What what happened? They got busy in those those, those years. They um, so April seven, nineteen ninety four. <laughs> civil war breaks out in Rwanda, which of course leads to the uh, the, the genocide. genocide. Not yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. So April eighth, two thousand and thirteen. Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, dies. She dies. We're gonna have to speak about her at some point because Margaret Thatcher. She's a big deal. Oh yeah. Hell she's yeah. a massive deal for England. England. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, end of the week, April 9th. Yeah, on 2005, Charles and Camilla, Camilla Parker Bowles, they get married. Less big of a deal compared to everything else that happened in this week. Yeah, well, kind some, of, somehow we managed to end up with yeah, gossip at the end. The least like, climactic. Look, that's a big week of fast facts, and we're going to try and get through all of those topics throughout the year, mm. hopefully. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Fingers um, crossed. But Nash, it's been a huge week. We spoke about Stalin. Spoke about Pocahontas and about where Disney has gone wrong. Mm. We're, of course, going to have a hilarious video song mm. that we're putting out. So yeah. check out that. I know it's going to be great. Um, it's been a big week, the 3rd of April to the 9th of April. Next week, we'll be back with even more big news from a time before you were born. <laughs>